ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. It's a story that's captivating the world. The missing five men who went deep into the ocean to try and get a glimpse of the wreckage of the Titanic. Oxygen may have run out in the missing Titan submersible, but rescuers are still hard at work. Today, an oceanographer on the dangers and complexities of the mission. frantic search becoming more urgent tonight for those five people missing now less than 20 hours of oxygen remain for the five people est utilisé pour se rendre dans la zone du naufrage du Titanic et explorer l'épave that's vanished thousands of meters below the surface of the Atlantic Ocean my name is art trembanus I'm a professor of oceanography at the University of Delaware uh, this is an incredible story and the whole world is really gripped by it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it feels like an, an underwater Apollo 13 sort of moment. The flight of the Apollo 13 to the moon is in serious jeopardy this morning and is not going to make a moon landing. As the in the same, same way that you know the world was captivated when, when those astronauts were, were stuck on the, on the far side of the moon in the 70s. Not many of us, Art, I don't think, would choose to go in a tiny submersible and head deep into the ocean. It's a pretty adventurous thing to do, right? But you, you've done it. You've been in a similar vessel before. Just tell me what it's like. Sure. I, well, so I, <laughs> I've been in one of the, the precursor vessels, the Cyclops one, on, on a very, a very modest dive of just, you know, some tens of meters. And mm-hmm. uh, um, actually, I'm uh, while I'm a ocean explorer and a a member of the Explorers Club, I've really spent my career using underwater robots to really go and and do the the heavy lifting and the deep diving tasks because, uh, you know, I guess uh, I'm not claustrophobic, but I think uh, I'd rather send uh, the robots off uh, into these uh, watery uh, places Uh, because, of course, all the challenges that that we're seeing. and, And this may as well be you know, beyond the moon for, for the level of challenges that this brings. I mean, this would be unprecedented. The, the, the previous deepest rescue uh, in the 70s, uh, early 70s of a Pisces uh, submersible was 500 meters of water. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking 3,800 meters of water. It's never, something like this has never uh, been done. Tell me about inside the Titan because it's a really tight squeeze, isn't it? It's really small. Yeah. So I, I was inside Cyclops. It's sister ships and a very similar size and dimensions to it. And it feels like you're inside a, a hollowed out passenger home minivan. Mm. You sit legs akimbo with socks on on a on a you know, maybe a foam mat or a, or, a, or a pillow. It's very austere because it's not uh, first-class comfort on a trans-Pacific flight. This is you're inside this experimental submersible. Yeah, and there's, there's no seats. And there's a single viewpoint that's 
21 inches in diameter, not for the claustrophobic. <laughs> no, no, for sure. This tiny little window into the into the watery uh, world and you kind of have to you have to position and kind of crawl over each other to kind of get into different places within uh, the submersible. Let's take a look at Titan. So we're coming into the sub. This is the In 2022, the boss of OceanGate Expeditions stopped in rush. OceanGate's the, the company that runs the Titan. He appeared in a CBS film and he described how it's operated with a single remote control, a game controller. Un unbelievable. We've taken a completely new approach to the sub design and it's all run with this game controller and these touch screens. So if you want to go forward, you press forward. If you want to go back, you go back, turn left, turn right, go down. Go uh, I mean, I think there's been a lot sort of made about uh, sort of that. I think, it, you know, when you're talking about these sort of consumer grade electronics, they've been very well tested. They're nice. They're ergonomic. Uh, we use similar type uh, controllers over the years for many of our different uh, robotic systems. Uh, that one happens to be wireless. I would have probably gone for a wired one, but um, yeah, I, I think that's a clever innovation. And I don't, you know, I, I think that that one sort of makes sense to me. When things go wrong, though, Art, with submarines or submersibles like this, things tend to go really wrong, don't they? Yes. There's been this huge international effort to try and find the Titan. The US Coast Guard, you know, there was a sort of glimmer of hope there for a moment, wasn't there for them, because there was knocking that was, was heard. Yesterday, a Canadian P-3 detected underwater noises in the search area. As a result, ROV operations were relocated in an attempt to explore the origin of the noises. Although the ROV searches have yielded negative results, they continue. The caution I have in all of that is that, you know, that's, it is, it's a data point, but um, it's, it's easy to potentially get, get sort of taken down a primrose path at times when it is at such a heightened level and there's such a yearning for some hope and for some bits of evidence. I think it's, it's being considered and it's being analyzed by experts. Bear in mind, we have increasingly a number of, of vessels uh, on the surface, uh, assets underwater and above in this area that are all themselves producing noise. And I, I kept thinking back to early in the search for MH370 when they had vessels out there and they were at one point found themselves chasing their tails for phantom sounds that ended up being sourced back to one of the other ships. From the moment MH370 vanished from radar, the search for the plane has been characterized by confusion, mistakes and false hope. What you're seeing play out in this multinational, I mean, it's the U.S. Coast Guard, Canadian Coast Guard, there's French ships, you've got commercial groups. There's been a tremendous and amazingly rapid, actually, maneuvering and, and posturing of these of these assets that are very difficult to come by. Several P-3 flights are, have heard noises um, as yesterday, and we put uh, assets there. Uh, we, we relocated assets immediately. The surface search is now approximately two times the size of Connecticut, and the subsurface search is up to two and a half miles deep. But what I've what I've been seeing as it's playing out is one, this is still very much in the search and rescue mode, and and that the Coast Guard and, and all the members of the team are approaching it very methodically. Um, with respect to uh, food and water, it's my understanding there are some limited rations. I I can't tell you exactly how much um, they have aboard, but they do have some limited rations aboard. Uh, let's have a look now at the Titan expeditions because they've been going on since 2021. Just tell me about the journey that they take. 
Well, sure. You know, one does not just randomly find oneself at that Titanic site. You know, it's remote and, and there's that means that uh, you've got to come out there with everything uh, you need and hope and help is is, you know, you know, days uh, away, if that. And so it's uh, it's a challenging place that the North Atlantic, it can be uh, terrible uh, conditions. They've actually for the search efforts, it's actually been pretty good these last few days. Uh, that's that's been a blessing. But you've got the challenges on the surface. Plus, it's at a depth of about 3,800 meters. You're looking at 380 times atmospheric pressure at that depth. You've got currents throughout the water column. Salt water and electronics just uh, are challenging. And you've got organisms, small and large, that can cause trouble, uh, potential drifting debris, and limited communications even, even when things are operable. All of these facets actually make you know deep ocean exploration. I, I, you know, I, I stand on this opinion that it's harder than than going to space, and 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 that's why they've had more people have gone to space than have gone to certainly to the Titanic or these these depths. Gosh, okay, that really puts it into some perspectives. So these five people on board, they're somewhat adventurous. I think that's pretty safe to say. Of course, one of them is Stockton Rush. And I read, actually, interestingly, that his wife is a descendant of two first-class passengers who died on the Titanic when it sank. So there's a link there. Oh, that's interesting. There's other really interesting people on there too, isn't there? There's Hamish Harding, he's a billionaire, yes. uh, and others. Uh, Paul-Henri Nargelet, both the Nargelet and Harding are, uh, like myself, are members of the Explorers Club. Nargelet, one of the leads of the Titanic Foundation and uh, a veteran of more than 30-some dives to the site. So he was sort of the the subject matter expert uh, on there. So yeah, these are accomplished uh, individuals taking on a huge challenge and uh, a risky endeavor in, in the best of conditions. And here we're seeing it play out. And if rescuers do actually locate it, is it possible to bring it to the surface? How would they do that? Yeah, so, you know, um, that first part is itself a, a, an amazing thing was be, is to find it. And then then it rapidly goes from being searched to, to recovery. And with some of the deep ROV assets, it, it, it could be that uh, these ROVs have very strong hydraulic arms that could clamp on to and try to perhaps haul it up to the surface or or attach a cable all of that though takes time as well and and slowly then bringing it back up to the surface so it's uh it, it, it generally these things would be you know would take weeks or more of of uh, careful planning and and getting you know other assets to them and it, it's uh really a race against the clock right now yeah, of course. As we mentioned, this is an incredibly hostile environment, one of the most hostile on Earth, the bottom of the ocean, not for human beings, really. Do you think we should continue in this in this way? You know, should we really be going so deeply down into the ocean or should we leave it, as you sort of suggested, to the robots? I think robotic exploration is human exploration. I mean, I think if we look not just to the to the eternal darkness of, of the oceans, but into the into the heavens, into space, we see that exploration of our of our home planet and of our solar system has has been done in these last few decades by a, a lot of robotic systems. We have robots on Mars and the Moon, and I think it is important that we that we continue to explore, you know, our ocean. 
we've only mapped less than 24%. We just recently hit 24% of, of the of the sea, seabed surface of our planet. In all of human history, it's taken us to get to this point. We have better maps of the moon and Mars than we do of, of our own seabed. I understand the, the compelling draw there, just as we do for many historical sites around our planet, but it has to be done cautiously and, and carefully. Arthur Trembanis is a professor of oceanography at the University of Delaware. This episode was produced by Veronica App App, Flint Duxfield, David Cody, Anna John, and Sam Dunn, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. Over the weekend, catch This Week with Mel Clark. She'll be looking at the real-time reporting of deaths in custody. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again on Monday. Thanks for listening.